Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Man, we want to welcome you today. We are so excited that you are here. We're in part two of our four-week series that we are calling You Asked For It, which these sermons are all based on what you asked for. We did a survey on Easter Sunday, and we just asked people, and we said, what do you want to hear sermons on? And the top four things were, first off, um, what was the thing last, what did I, what did I preach about last week? <laughs> Y'all, it's been a busy week. <laughs> I'm like, Lord Jesus, help my brain today. That's right. How do you know what God's will is for your life? So we talked about that last week. I think it was super, super, it was super helpful for you. You can actually check that out on our church app. We actually just, uh, we actually launched a few weeks back the Lifehouse Newport News app. You can download that where apps are found. You've got sermons on there in different ways to get connected um, but this week, we are going to be uh, checking out um, how to deal with some difficult people. Yep. Hopefully, when y'all check that box, y'all didn't have me in mind. Right? But, uh, hey, first off, two things. Uh, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests that are with us here today. Lifehouse fam, can we just welcome all of our first-time guests? If it is your first time here, we are so excited that you are here with us. You are our VIPs. We absolutely love you. And man, and what we would encourage you to do is come back a couple times, check us and check us out, and see if this could possibly be the church home for you. We have an incredible family here, and we would love to add you, show show you around, and and really show you what our church is. Uh, secondly, though, uh, next week is Mother's Day, so we come on, mom. Let's give it up for moms in here. Come on now. So next week, ladies, is going to be all about you, not just moms, ladies in general. We're going to have the Fika coffee truck is what it's called. Apparently, they make really good coffee. I don't know. But they're going to be here next week, and they're going to be giving all ladies free lattes, free macchiatos or caramel macchiatos, whatever y'all get from Starbucks and, you know, no soy, high whip, like whatever y'all... Y'all's crazy Starbucks orders, they're, they're, they are going to be giving all of those out, and it's on us next week, all right? So just come out. You're going to be getting those free. Guys, if you would like one, you're going to buy it. Uh, <laughs> we love you, too. Father's Day is coming up, okay? Father, you know, Father's Day is coming up, and fathers, we're going to have Bacon Day. We haven't forgot you, fellas. All right, we're going to be having some bacon stuff in the house, all right? So just, hey, we're, you know, Sunday's going to be about ladies, and then, hey, we got our day coming up, all right? Uh, but also, too, we're going to be having stra- uh, straw- chocolate-covered strawberries, uh, ladies. And then also, too, we're going to be giving away a couple Target gift cards. Target is the devil. That, that's all I'll say. And all of my husbands know what I'm saying. Because I can't tell you how many times I'm checking out our bank statement, and I'm seeing, like, $30 Target. $44 Target, $120. I'm like, babe, what are you buying from Target? You know, and she's like, yeah, exactly. Someone said dollar. I was like, well, I just went in there to look, and then I just went in the dollar section and just saw a few things, and I saw these shirts for $4. Our kids, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, Target's the devil. I'm like, Target is the devil. I'm like, we would, we would be having so much more in savings right now if you just didn't shop at Target. So, so next week, we're going to be giving away a couple Target gift cards, so... So come next week, hang out with us, bring some other ladies' moms with you. We're going to honor moms and ladies next week. Actually, we have a short video that we want to show you really, really quick, inviting you out next week. Check it out. Ladies, we know it. You do a lot. You can handle a lot. And you do it all like a boss. For who you are and all you do, you deserve a weekend. So we can't wait to celebrate you at Mother's Day at Lifehouse. How true is that? How true is that? I got three kids, eight, five, and three. That is a true description of what our house looks like day to day. All right, you asked for it, dealing with difficult people. Dealing with difficult people. So if you could, starting off, close your eyes. For me, this is a free country, though. You don't have to. But it would be awesome if you could just play play along with me. 
Um, when, when I say difficult people, difficult person, who pops into your head? <laughs> For some of you, this is your spouse. <laughs> like you actually came here fighting. And you're sitting next to this person. And there's a little bit of animosity. There's a little bit of residue from possibly something you talked about this past week. And whenever I say difficult person, you think of them. Or possibly it's your boss. If you work for the church, you better not know. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, amen. Uh, maybe it is that coworker that always steals your ideas and makes them theirs. Or maybe they just love to, to take credit. Maybe it's somebody in your family that um, just consistently makes dumb decisions and you're consistently having to bail out and you just are like, why won't you just do the right thing? Maybe it's your child that is doing dumb things. Maybe they're a teenager. Um, maybe they have, they have done moved out and they've decided to move back in in their 20s. Um, I'm not sure what the difficult person looks like to you. You can, you can open your eyes. I'm not sure what this difficult person or people group looks like for you. But it's not hard to think of a, a difficult... It's not hard to think of difficult people in this sin-filled world, right? Where there's so much brokenness, so much hurt, and so much pain. And, you know, here, here, here's the truth, right? We would... We would uh, we honestly sometimes like really don't know what to do because you feel like you've almost tried everything. You feel like that I, you know, I've tried every principle, like I've watched Dr. Phil, applied what Dr. Phil told me, even watched Oprah, applied some Oprah principles, applied some John Maxwell principles, and you're like doing all of these principles, but nothing, seems to, but nothing about them seems to be changing, and you are just, you literally feel like you're out of answers, and that's why I think so many of us here chose that box and said, John, I, I need to learn how to deal with, the, with difficult people. And here's the thing, I could give you a lot of principles, I could tell you good stuff, I, I could tell you a lot of stuff that gives you knowledge, but today I hope not to just give knowledge, I hope to give you revelation, and there's a difference. Knowledge is what you can know on your own. Revelation is what you can only know when God shows it to you. And there's a big difference. We spend so much time trying to get you know, trying to get, trying to get information about certain topics. When ultimately, what we need is not more information about something. We need revelation from God that will supersede that knowledge that we have. We need a God moment. We need a God idea. And that's what I'm praying for you today. That something I say would be a, a revelatory thing of like, oh my gosh, that's it, right? Be because ultimately. Difficult people, you're going to have difficult people, y'all. Death, taxes, and difficult people. Those are your, sorry, I think I actually almost flicked people off. Uh, I was like, er, er, whoops. And difficult people, like, that is the trinity of life. So get ready for it. If you say, I got no difficult people, okay, God's about to send some your way. Get ready. Right? And, and, and look, what I'm going to give you today, instead of principles, I'm going to give you three either-ors to kind of take and apply to your own life. So are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, all right, all right. So the first either-or. With difficult people, you will either use a magnifying glass or a, or a mirror. Because let me tell you what we typically do many times with difficult people. We love to focus on all of the deficiencies in them. And what do we typically do? We get out the magnifying glass and be like, yeah, did you see them today? Did you see what they said? Do you believe what they did? And we always like to magnify issues and stuff in somebody else's life instead of holding the mirror up to our life and saying, what's going on in my life? We always like to magnify somebody else's stuff. But what we do in, in that is here's the, the thing. Whenever you shift responsibility, right? Because here's the thing. Like say, I'm that way because they. I do this because they. 
Well, you know, and let's be honest, like this is marriage. You've got ladies like, yeah, I'd be more intimate with you if you gave me some compliments every now and then. We'll have prayer counselors down here later, okay, <laughs> if you need some prayer. There's some animosity going on right here in this center row. Right? And it's, and it's kind of like, well, if you did this, then I wouldn't do this, right? And, and then you've got guys be like, well, maybe if you were a little more intimate with me, maybe I'd be nicer to you. And it's kind of like you've, you have got couples holding up magnifying glasses on the other person's issues, blaming them for their issue. Okay? And and y'all, look, whenever we do that, whenever we take our problem and blame somebody else for it, we also throw out the power to bring change because then our change isn't dependent on us or God. It's now dependent on a person. Y'all, the blame game has been going around since the very beginning. This book starts starts out. Man is free. Man's in the garden. The man, woman, they're in this beautiful place. God is ruling over, you know, is ruling over them. And then, you know what? Satan comes and tempts Eve, and she gives in and gives some to her husband. And then God's like, yo, Adam, where you at, bro? What, what happened? And Adam, what does Adam do? Instead of saying, God, I messed up, he said, God, it's you. It was the woman you gave me. So Adam blames God for his issues, for his decisions, for his choices. And then whenever he blames God for the woman, the woman's like, nah, yo, it was Satan. It was Satan's fault. So she doesn't take responsibility for her stuff. She throws it on Satan. The blame game's been going around since the very beginning. The magnifying glass has been out from the very beginning. We as people typically tend to magnify other people's issues instead of picking up the mirror and saying, yep, they've got issues, but the biggest issue in my life is this person that I'm looking at in the mirror. Man, I'm good looking. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm so kidding. But like, think think about y'all, and why this is so important it's because when you're dealing with difficult people, you won't deal rightly with them unless you have some sense and some grace in, in you that, that realizes your messed upness too. Because it's hard to give grace when you don't realize that you need grace. It's hard, and this is what I've seen, the most graceless people are the ones that can't smell their own stuff. Have you ever been around people like that? Their stuff never stinks. And it is the most annoying thing because when they don't realize their stuff doesn't stink, then they'll start smelling everyone else's and then telling everyone about how bad their stuff stinks instead of realizing, yeah, my stuff stinks too. And what we've got to do instead of pulling out the magnifying glass with difficult people and exalting and bringing out other people's issues, we've got to get the mirror out and be like, God, before I deal with those difficult people, you need to deal with the most difficult person I will ever deal with, and that is me. You are your greatest leadership challenge. I heard one guy say, leadership guru, he said, my greatest leadership challenge isn't the organization that I lead, it's not the people under me, it's me. And I agree with that. My greatest leadership challenge is self-leadership in leading me. And if we're going to be people of God, because here's the thing, God loves people more than anything. The way we ultimately show our faith is real and valid and true and actually incarnate, meaning like it makes a difference in our everyday life, is shown not by how much we tithe, not by how good we know the Bible. It is shown by how we treat people but not just people who we love. Jesus said that. Jesus said, so what? You love people who love you. Here's a cookie. Like even even sinners do that. He said, but what makes Jesus' followers different isn't the way we treat those that we love. It's the way we treat those that mistreat us. That's how we actually show this Jesus thing has actually made a difference in our lives. 
Paul, he said it this way. He said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That how we know, how this world is going to know our faith is valid is when we disagree with somebody. And y'all, if there is any time where this needs to be at the forefront when our country is so divided and we are calling whole people groups difficult because of what they believe politically or, or what they believe as far as religion, like we are so divided. And if there's gonna be anything that is gonna shout to the world that we believe Jesus is true, it's not gonna be how we treat those that we agree with. It's gonna be how we treat those that we disagree with. And until we get this whole thing, we gotta look at ourselves in the mirror first, church. We gotta stop judging them. We gotta judge ourselves. We, we gotta stop telling how bad the world is and we gotta start saying, yo, maybe judgment, you know, scripture says if judgment needs to begin with the household of faith. And we need to look at us first. We need to, instead of picking the, the magnifying glass, we need to get the mirror. In what context would this person possibly, possibly you need to start picking up the mirror. Why? Because it creates, get this word, empathy. It puts yourself in someone else's shoes. Some of the most graceless people that I've seen are those that cannot get this word empathy. They don't know what it's like to be where you're at, and distance creates distortion. And so people will always judge something they know nothing about. Right? That's, that's why whenever I get mad at my wife sometimes, and I'm like, man, what did you, did you? I ain't a mother. I don't know what it's like to be a mom. And I'm like, okay, God, you're right. Let me see how jacked up and messed up I, I am first. Before I go pulling out this, I need to pull out this. Because, y'all, let me, let me and, and, and then really, too, this typically happens, right, whenever we are offended. Because y'all, how many of y'all know if someone says, says something to us, like just some off, off-handed remark, we take a bullet hole, or we take a bullet hole, we take a BB and, and basically magnify it to be a nuclear bomb by the time we get done analyzing it. Like that one little comment that someone said at your job, oh, what they really meant is I'm worthless. What they really meant is I, you know, what, and you start having these imaginary conversations in your head where if you were talking with them, what you'd say, and you find yourself in the shower, and you're, 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 and you're there cussing them out and saying, well, you know, and just... And it's crazy how one offense, when you magnify it, can literally consume you. And y'all, the only way that you're going to drop that and quit having useless energy spent on stuff that doesn't matter is by taking the mirror out and be like, you know what, I need to give the same grace that I want God to give me. I want to give someone the same grace that I'd want someone to give me. We got to put the magnifying glass down, bring up the mirror. I love what Proverbs 19:11 tells us. It says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Church, what would we look like? What would, this, would our relationships with these, with these difficult people in our, in our lives look like if we put this down, picked this up, and started to overlook those things that are offensive, and we say, I'm going to give them the same grace that I'd want them to give me? Because honestly, y'all, we want other people to change. God wants you to change. And the thing is, God will take difficult people in your life and use them for your good. Like some of y'all are wasting y'all's difficult people. Because you're... <sighs> some of y'all are wasting them. Why? Because God is more concerned about changing you than he is about you changing them. We're always, I want them to change them, them, them. When God's like, no, I want to use them to help change you. Why? Romans 8, 20, all things that work to the good of those that, 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 that love. God will take something that isn't good, make it work for your good to perfect you and mold you and help you become more the person that you've been called to be through, honestly, many times it comes through a lot of difficult people. Why? Because then if you have a crazy boss, God is showing you how you aren't supposed to be so when you get in his spot, you won't be like him. You have a crazy brother or sister at, you know, that you're like, okay, you know what, I've, I've tried to, you know what, intervene. I've tried to show them what the right thing is. Well, wisdom is not, wisdom is seeing other people's mistakes and learning from them. So y'all stop wasting the difficult people in your life and start redeeming them. Start saying, God, what can you show me? How can you challenge me? And quit focusing on them changing and start saying, God, how can you change me? because that is God's goal. Secondly, with difficult people, you will either be gasoline 
or water. Because let's just be honest, man, right? And, and really, this, this typically goes to, like, gossip. The church, baby, everyone's favorite place to gossip. You hear something about some, someone through Facebook? It's on Facebook, got to be true. It's on Facebook, got to be true. Got to be. See something on Facebook, and then it becomes, you know, did, did you, you know, it's like, did, did you see what they said? Did you, did, did you see that? And then, you know, that conversation leads to some other conversations, and then it becomes the game of telephone, where it starts off as like, well, maybe, you know, this looks like what it might be saying. And then you start to talk to different people, and the story develops, and it becomes, what is that word, um, embellished. And then it started off something like mom went to dinner at Burger King, and by the time it gets done, by the seven, eight people that it goes through, it's like mom got killed at Wendy's eating a Frosty. It's like by the time it goes through multiple things, what, what the original thing was comes out and, and just being nothing like it was originally done. Let me tell you, the church is the greatest place to, to see gossip thrive. Why? Because it's so relational. Church is built on relationships. It's not built on systems. It's built on relationships. And relationships can get messy. And so whenever we hear stuff, whenever we see stuff that, that we don't understand or we see stuff of what someone's doing, it's so easy for us in church to put a motive or put a purpose on what someone's doing without actually getting context and going to the source about what you saw and what happened. But sometimes we can just like the poor gasoline. Our scripture tells us this, Proverbs tells us this, without wood, without gasoline, a fire goes out, and without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Church, I beg and plead with you. We need to be a church with bucket carriers instead of gasoline dumpers. Because, y'all, if there's anything that will derail a church's mission, a church's mission, vision, purpose, and calling quicker, it will be gossip. Did you hear this? Did you hear Pastor John did this? Did you hear Lifehouse is doing this? And people can just take it and, and just be like, and just take it and run with it and make it something. When, do you know what you got to do? Do you know what bucket carriers do? Bucket carriers go to the source. Gasoline characters assume. We need a church full of bucket carriers that's saying, look, I'm not going to just pour gasoline on potential fires. I'm going to be a bucket carrier. And do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the source. A couple weeks back, I, I absolutely love this. We had this woman in our church who was, who was offended at me for something that I did. That'll probably be you at some point. I'm, I just want to say I'm sorry ahead of time. right? But we had a girl, she was offended at me, and she told her friend, and her friend said, let's go, let's go talk to Pastor John about it. And she brought her over, and she told me. Had no idea that, that I even did that. No clue at all. And we talked it out. We got it smooth. I gave her understanding. Gave her a hug. And we're good. Think of where that could have gone, though. Takes that, she's offended, she harbors it. Well, John doesn't love me. Lifehouse, they're just all about, you know, they're, 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 they're you know, who knows, right? But I appreciated that this woman that was told something said, let's go to the source instead of saying, yeah, that Pastor John. He's such a punk. That church, can't believe they would do that. But I appreciate the fact that she was a bucket carrier, and before it became a forest fire, she dumped it out and stopped it as it was a small spark on the ground. And y'all, let me encourage you and implore you. I pray that we are a church that are bucket carriers, and we go to the source. Because y'all, let me just tell you, stuff's going to be thrown out there about our church, about people in our church. And here's the thing, if you just take it and just like simmer with it and just, if you assume that you'll make up stuff, you'll create, you'll, you will 
project um, purpose, meaning on it, and it'll become something that it was never meant to be, right? But honestly, what I've seen is that the people that talk the most actually do the least, right? The, the people that talk the most typically are those that are playing armchair quarterback. Some of you are like, armchair quarterback, what is that, right? So the, actually, there, there are, you know, and I'm, I'm an armchair quarterback at some time. I judge my football team, right? And like, I've been a Jacksonville Jaguars fan for many years. And if you don't know anything of, about football, I have had to endure watching Blake Bortles play quarterback for five years. If you don't know anything about Blake Bortles, he's terrible. I'm being an armchair quarterback right now, right? It's like, he's terrible. But at the same time, I have no idea what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL. I'm just judging him for something I've never done. I've never been in his position. I'm just assuming if he's doing it, he should be better at it. So I'm telling him, like, I'm judging him, and I'm, you know, and then you think about it. There's talk shows all geared around this whole concept of critiquing and just criticizing. And these people judge these quarterbacks and judge these people in the spotlight that have never attempted or even done what they're criticizing. They're just talking. They're just making stuff up. They are just criticizing. And, and, and so what we call an, an armchair quarterback is someone that all they do is critique. They never actually get off the sidelines or get out of their seat and get into the game. And what you typically see, what I've seen in church, is those that critique the most are typically in the crowd and not in the game. So since they're not being busy, they take their time and criticize. Well, you know, the band, they could be so much better. Yeah, that crazy guitarist, he plays so loud. They serve Krispy Kreme donuts. Wish they had Dunkin' Donuts. I wish they had duck donuts. They don't even serve Starbucks coffee anymore. They just serve Sam's Club coffee. You know, I just wish this. And then, it, you know, it's, it's like we can just critique and, and critique. But it's like what I have seen that those that, that critique less are those that actually have their hands on the field getting dirty and getting busy. Here's the thing, whenever you've got so much, whenever you aren't busy, and Paul actually, check out what Paul said. This is Paul with his church he planted in Thessalonica. This is Paul writing to this church. He said this, we hear some of you are idle. <laughs> I love his language. And disruptive. You're idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They're busy bodies. <laughs> Meaning... They're not doing anything, but they're criticizing. And what I can hear Paul saying is, look, we don't want you just to be idle because here's the thing. Whenever you are idle, you're more prone to criticize and see what isn't right instead of getting in the game and being part of the solution instead of talking about more of what the problem is. And I don't know if you can see, in this world, we need less people talking and more people doing. Can I get an Amen. We can curse our cities, curse our communities all day. Yeah, these kids these days, they're so crazy. These kids these days, they don't have any fathers. These kids these days, they're just disrespecting their parents. These kids these days, they need better grades. These kids, these kids, these kids, these kids. And you curse the very thing that you could actually say, hey, is there some sort of program that I can get in and be a father to the fatherless? And instead of cursing our community and culture, we instead take the same energy that we would use to criticize and use it to make a difference. But it's easier to criticize than it is to get our hands dirty in church. What I want to implore you with is that we would be a church that would be busy. That we would be a, a church that would not be afraid to get our hands dirty. There would be a church, instead of sitting back and critiquing, we would be a church that would stand up and say, I need to get my hands dirty. Why? Because when the church sits back and just critiques, and the church sits back and just says about everything that isn't right, we, it's sideways energy. 
And if you've ever been in an organization, a family or something like that, where you're exerting energy that isn't moving toward your so-called vision, calling, and purpose, it's called sideways energy. You're dealing with stuff when you could be taking that same energy and using it to move the vision, calling, and purpose of what you're a part of forward. And you guys have probably been, been there, where you're dealing with drama, you're dealing with you know, it's like in, this, in the light of eternity, this stuff, it's, it's, you're like, this isn't going to move us forward. And as the church, if we just said, look, we're going to talk less and do more. I love Proverbs says this, man. Check this out. Too much talk leads to sin. Isn't it true? Where there's a lot of sin, there's, or where there's a lot of talk, there's a whole lot of sin. I just love this very nice uh, way of putting this. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Thank you, Proverbs. Now, here's what, here's what I'm not saying. If you see a problem, don't ever say it. Don't go overboard. All I am saying is, look, we, we want your feedback. Like, talk to us. If there's something, like, talk, talk to us. But at the same time, we would love for all of us here to get, our, to get our hands busy. Maybe you need a dream team. Maybe you need to come in here, and instead of just coming to church here, you need to get your hands dirty and join a church team and get in the game and, and start seeing, you know, why we do some of the things we do, how we do some of the things that we do, and actually get some context to your concept, right? Because one thing we can do, we're so good at having concepts of certain things, but we can have concept with no context, and we need to get in the game. So, look, what I would tell, tell, tell you is get busy. Thirdly, with difficult people, you will either be a sword that pierces or a hand that brings healing. So first off, you will either have a mirror or magnifying glass. You will either be water or gasoline, and I didn't have a sword. It's just, you know, didn't want to scare anybody, you know. Just, here's a sword, okay? Just pretend I got a sword, right? We got a stick. Okay, cool. We'll use this. All right, this will be a, this is a, Nice sword, okay? You got a sword, right? Sermon, sermon props on the go. <laughs> right? You're, you're either going to be a sword that pierces or a hand that heals. I want you to go back to Jesus whenever um, Jesus was about to be betrayed. Right? Jesus, he comes, on, he, he comes on the scene, preaches the gospel. People get saved. The religious leaders hated him. They stirred up trouble. And they basically said, hey, look, uh, we're going, you know, Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of his closest friends, comes in and, and sells out Jesus, turns his back on, betrays Jesus to the Roman soldiers. And so Jesus is standing there right after being in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas leads this whole trail of warriors, this whole trail of people to Jesus and Jesus is sitting there waiting for him because Jesus knew it was going to happen. And, but, you know, with, with Jesus, he had Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, Peter was always that, like, dude, it was always that friend you have that's always a little extra. You ever have that friend? Yeah. Just a little extra. Like, you know, if he comes with you some, that if he comes with you somewhere, there's going to be a little more action. Probably gonna be a little more fire. Probably gonna be a little more boisterous actions going going on. And Peter is sitting there with Jesus, and, Je and Peter is witnessing his friend, his, his 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 teacher about to be betrayed. So what does Peter do? He goes and gets his sword, pulls his sword out. Sorry, pulls his sword out and chops off one of the ears of one of the soldiers that was there with him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the way that I want to act when people betray me. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to chop ears off. Right? But, well, maybe you do. We'll have prayer down here at the altars later, okay? But we, um, we typically, whenever somebody betrays, and y'all have been there, where people you have invested in, people you have loved, people you have cared for, people you have poured your life into, people you have sacrificed for, that they have no idea what you did behind the scenes.
means when these people that were so close to you betray you and turn their back on you, you now feel a little bit about what Jesus felt. And isn't it true our natural reaction when that happens is to get the sword out and start swinging and start piercing and start fighting back and fighting a battle with that person. Why? Because they betrayed us. And that's what we see the route that Peter took. His natural inclination and his natural reaction was retaliation and revenge. And if we're completely honest, that is most of us here. And some of you are really good piercers. You're good at revenge. You're good at stabbing back. You're good when somebody betrays you, when someone puts you down, at taking that sword out and getting back at them. You're good at it. But what we see Jesus well, what we see here, Matthew 26, 52 through 54, whenever this happened, whenever he, he cut the guy's ear off, Peter, he, he, Jesus said, Peter, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Then he says, do you not think I can call on my father? And he went out at once, put in my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way. And one other translation adds, Luke, the, the doctor and writer of the gospel, Luke, includes in, in there that Jesus reached down and instead of taking a sword and piercing the soldier, reached down and picked the guy's ear up and healed it. When Jesus was betrayed, instead of taking a sword and fighting back, Jesus became an instrument of healing. And whenever you, not if you have, but when you have these situations happen in your life where people betray you, wherever these difficult people, maybe the person you thought of whenever I said difficult person, that person in your head right now, you are dealing with a backstabbing betrayal. Someone that you poured into, loved, served, they were close to you, they know you better than anybody, and they took what they knew about you, they took your vulnerability and took advantage of it. And you so much want to take a sword and start swinging back. But what, I, but what I want to challenge you with is you can take a sword and swing back, or you can take your hand and be an instrument of healing. And what I think this instrument of healing practically is, is this instrument of forgiveness. Where sometimes you have to accept an apology that you'll never get. You're like, that person that did this to me never, has never even reached out and apologized to me, ever. And right now, you are being held bound by an apology that you are not, you haven't got, and that you might never get. And your life is now being ruled and controlled by what someone else did to you. And you've got the sword out, and you're swinging, and you just hope in some way, shape, or form you get any piece of them. But what I want to challenge you with today is there's something greater than taking the sword out and piercing and fighting and being Peter. A greater tool is that you have the ability to give forgiveness instead of waiting on them to apologize and then you giving it. You have the availability of for you today, for your hand to reach out and be an instrument of healing instead of a sword that pierces. The truth is this, guys. Let me tell you a few things about forgiveness. First off, forgiveness isn't minimizing what they did. It's saying, I'm not going to hold the bill. Because some of y'all, you want to take the sword out and you want to play God. You want to be the punisher. You want to be judge and jury in their life. You want to be, be the one that makes them pay. And you think that's your job. But did you see whatever Jesus said? He said, do you not know I could call legions of angels and jack y'all up? Do you not know I've got power? Do you not know I've got the ability? Do you not know I've got the authority to call angels down and jack all y'all up? But you see, 
He, he submitted to his father. And he said, God, you know. And plus two, it was part of God's plan. And some of y'all, not that it was God's best, but the betrayal you're feeling that you've been through, that you've walked through, instead of saying, God, why did this happen? You need to switch it to, God, what are you showing me and how can I grow from this? I'm telling you, we have those why moments and we need those why moments. Why this happened to me? Why, 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 why? But there needs to come a point where if you're gonna use what was done to you as being for your good and making you better, it's got, and, and, and basically saying Romans 8.28 being true, which God works all things to the good of those that love you and called according to, to God's purpose. Not that all things are good, but God's so good, God can take all things and make them work for your good if you just let him and give it up to him instead of trying to hold on to it. And that process is, instead of saying, why, 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 it's saying, God, what are you trying to show me, and how can you make this work for my good? And, and, and so you've got to have this point where you say, look, forgiveness isn't minimizing, but it's you saying, I'm not going to be the judge and jury in their life. You have to be content with this fact. God will not be mocked. And what that means is this, people will reap what they sow. And God has not put the gavel in your hands to be the judge of someone else. He has put in you the responsibility to be the one that offers forgiveness. In the same way God has forgiven you. Here's the truth, though. Forgiveness is an act of faith and trust. And let me tell you what this word, for, what this word forgiveness actually means. The word in Greek actually means to just let it go. Literally. Let it go, because it's not just about letting it go for their benefit, it's letting it go for your benefit. Like some of y'all, like you literally feel like you're wrapped in the chains of unforgiveness because of what somebody did to you and what somebody said to you and how someone turned their back on you, how somebody betrayed you. And really what you need is you need to forgive the, the apology you, that you never got so you can be free. Forget them so you can be free. So you can be made whole. So you can be then free to love and serve. Because y'all, the truth is this. Someone will never sin against you more than you've sinned against God. I know that, that you're like, John, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that. Because, y'all, we always judge what somebody did to us by our standard without judging what we all do by God's standard. Compared to Jesus, we're all messed up. And if you're going to grant forgiveness to, some, to somebody, you've got to know that there is nothing you will ever forgive that is greater than what God has forgiven you of. And Jesus says clearly that if you don't give forgiveness... If you don't give it, you won't get it. But here's the thing. Forgiveness is instantaneous, yet it's continual. And let me tell you what that, you know, what that means. Some, sometimes you have to make a choice to do something that you don't immediately feel. Because what we want is we want our decisions to match to catch up with our feelings instead of, of, our, of us making a choice and then our feelings living up to and matching up to and getting to our conviction and our choice. Because we're such a feelings culture, right? There's going to be things that you're going to have to say, I forgive them, but you're not going to feel it. And it's going to be a process of you working through those feelings and eventually getting to the point emotionally where you actually live it. You live up to the confession that, that you made, if that makes sense. Because here's the truth. Forgiveness and trust are different. Right? Forgiveness and trust are different. There are people that have hurt you, hurt you, hurt you, and you don't need, you need to set boundaries for them. Like, you just don't need to let them have the same place in your life that they originally had before they hurt you. You need to set up boundaries for them. 
You can forgive them, but practically you need to set in place boundaries because trust takes, takes hours and years to earn and seconds to break. And some of you here, your, your marriage right now, it is hanging on by a thread because you're holding un, unforgiveness. And here's the truth. You need to give forgiveness and then also realize it's going to be a period and path and long road to gain that trust back that was broken. But husband, wife, you don't need to hold unforgiveness. You need to let it go. But at the same time, you might need to put in, put in place boundaries. You might need to set a pathway and say, look, these things need to be met for trust to be built back up. But the thing is this, guys, we need to put the swords down. We need to put the swords down and put the hand of healing out. Because, y'all, there's going to be a lot of difficult people that are, that, that, that are going to stab you, that are going to betray you. But as the people of God, how we treat and deal with difficult people shouts loudly to the world who God is and what God's like. So, look, are you going to be a person of this or a person like this? I pray that whenever you're de dealing with this difficult person that you put in your brain, whenever we first started start out, that when stuff comes up, you'll see these images. And you'll be like, uh. I'm telling you. How we treat people. People matter, matter more to God than anything. And God doesn't want to just change them. God is changing you. Right? So y'all, get out the mirror. Be a big fat bucket of water. And take that and take that hand and instead of piercing somebody with a sword, grant forgiveness and as God and as you deal this way with difficult people you will see God developing in you a character that you would have never been able to develop without that difficult person redeem that difficult person start using that difficult person for your good and watch God change you amen church would you stand up with me If everyone could, bow their heads and close their eyes. We're going to pray. Father, we just want to pause right now and just say thank you for your goodness and grace. We love you. We thank you for your power and presence that is here. God, I just pray over each person here. God, you know who that difficult person is in their life. And we just pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that, God, you would bring revelation into their lives and into their hearts. God, I know, um, it, man. God, this is hard. This is where our faith meets. This is where the rubber of our faith meets the road of our lives. So God, I pray that as they think through and process through how this applies to them, God, I pray that, um, that you give them wisdom and clarity. Just as we prayed earlier, give them the courage and boldness and the tenacity to walk out and put this into practice. God, maybe even tomorrow, maybe even today, they need to put the sword down and offer the hand of forgiveness. Maybe today they need to go and squash and take, take a bucket and put out something that they have been gossiping about. God, possibly today they need to go and start examining their own lives instead of magnifying something in someone else's life. God, we ask that you give us wisdom as, as we process this and know how to apply to, to our lives. Really quick, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. Just want to create a time of privacy here. Maybe you are here today and you need to give your life to Christ. You need to, in order to have the grace to give it, you need to receive it first. And so possibly today, you need to make a decision. You need to say yes to Jesus and make a decision to follow him. 
and let him into your heart, let him into your life and let him give you a fresh start, a brand new beginning, forgiveness of sin, hope in a future, life, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would say, John, today, I need to deal with this difficulty between God and I, and that difficulty is sin. The scripture says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but you know what? That's what Jesus came and died for. He died for our sin. And so now when we accept Jesus, Jesus is a replacement for our sin, and he, and he takes them away, and the difficulty between us and God is now dealt with. So if you say, John, I need that dealt with. I need my sin dealt with. I need my sin taken away. I need to be pure before God. Now is your moment. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would just say, John, I need to receive that today. I'm, I'm just going to ask you just to say this. Just say, yes. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart, whatever. But I believe this. When you say yes, what you're doing is you're opening up the door of your heart to Jesus. And you're saying, Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. Make me new. Make me whole. Make me more like you. If you said yes today, what we're going to do, we're just going to pray together, all of us here, like all of us here, we're going to say the same prayer, and we're just going to join in, join in with you as you say this prayer and welcome Jesus into your life. If everyone could, repeat this after me. Join and join in today with those that said yes. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I welcome you into my life. I receive your forgiveness and grace, your life and your hope, and I give you me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Help me today to know what I'm doing, to know what I am receiving today, that I am receiving forgiveness of sins, a hope and a future, a life filled with hope and promise, a fresh start, a life that is now devoted to God. And Jesus, today, I give my life and I receive yours. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Lifehouse fam, can we just give it up for all those that said that prayer today for the first time? Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.